early February, 1985, Apple HQ in Cupertino, California. 29-year-old Steve Jobs is sitting in his office, flicking through the latest issue of Playboy, reading it for the interviews, of course. They have a story about him. And if there's a centerfold in this piece, it's the Macintosh. Steve Wozniak pops his head in the door. Steve, can we talk? Woz, as everyone calls him, is shorter than Jobs with a round face and a wide grin. But today, his customary smile has vanished. But Jobs barely glances up from his magazine. Sure. Woz stands in front of Jobs, wringing his hands. Woz is the co-founder of Apple, and he's really the maker behind its computing greatness. He hates confrontation, so this is going to be tough. He takes a deep breath. Uh, Steve, I've made a decision. Is it about the Apple II? If so, can it wait till tomorrow? I've got a lot going on. The Apple II is a top-selling Apple model, headed up by Woz. But Jobs doesn't have time for anything but his pet project, the Macintosh. Even though the Macintosh has been underperforming and the IBM PC has been vastly outselling it. Woz clears his throat. No, well, uh, kind of. It's really more about me. Jobs looks up. Woz isn't one to talk about himself, so this must be serious. Oh? Woz keeps going. Yeah, uh, I've decided to leave Apple. Jobs leaps out of his chair. What? What are you talking about, leave Apple? Woz continues in a measured tone. Look, uh, I just really don't like the way things have been going lately with Scully and all. John Scully is Apple's CEO for the last few years, and Woz feels as though Scully doesn't fully appreciate his contribution. I just think it's really crappy that 85% of Apple's revenues come from the Apple II, but Scully couldn't even mention us at the annual meeting last month. Jobs grimaces. It's true, Woz's division is crucial and not fully acknowledged. So Jobs goes into peacekeeping mode. Listen, Woz... You're such a valuable part of this company. You can't leave. Well, it doesn't feel like I'm valuable. All I ever hear about is the Macintosh this, the Macintosh that. Nobody cares about the Apple II. Jobs shakes his head. Yes, they do. (sighs) Well, then, why did I hear a rumor that you wanted to reallocate all the resources from the Apple II towards the Macintosh? And someone told me you were bored by the Apple II. Oh, come on. I'm not bored by the Apple II. I'm just excited about the Macintosh. Waz grows heated. Look, I just think the company's headed in the wrong direction. I think you should also know that the board is trying to squeeze you out in favor of Scully. Job shakes his head. You don't need to worry about me. Waz pauses. He and Jobs have been friends since they were teenagers. He doesn't want to fight with him. Steve, my mind's made up. We don't steer this ship anymore. And it's time for me to get off the boat. With that, Waz walks out the door. And out of the company he co-founded. He sells the majority of his stock when he exits. The move freaks out Wall Street. And Apple's stock price tumbles. The seeds of discontent have been sown at Apple. In the last nine years, Apple has gone from a garage experiment to a big publicly traded company. Now, 
Apple faces not only existential challenges within the company, but also in the highly predatory tech industry. And Apple will have to fight hard to make sure it doesn't become prey. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. Last episode, we dove into the backstory of the home computer and the inventors behind them. In this episode, turmoil at Apple rots the company from the inside out, and Microsoft takes advantage of the tumult to steal the spotlight and sales from both IBM and Apple. This is Episode 3, Seeds of Discontent. Fall 1984, IBM's campus in Boca Raton, Florida. Don Estridge strolls the grounds with his hands in his pockets. He's in his late 40s and is the respected programmer in charge of IBM's personal computer. With him is Bill Lowe, another IBM executive working on personal computers. Estridge has summoned Lowe from his offices in New York for an emergency meeting to discuss IBM's latest personal computer. Look, Bill, the PC Junior is a disaster. Customers complain it's poorly made and doesn't have the memory to run programs. How are we supposed to take away Apple customers with a machine like that? Lowe nods thoughtfully. Well, there are things we can do. Uh, People have been complaining about the keyboard, so let's add a new one. Let's bump up the marketing budget and sell it cheaper than the Apple II. It's vital we capture more Christmas sales, but even if that worked... Can we afford to undercut them? Lowe shrugs. We're IBM. We're the biggest computer company in the world. 
This is about getting market share in personal computers. In the short term, yes, we can afford to take a bit of a loss. IBM's core customers are corporate clients with deep pockets accustomed to incremental change. That's definitely not the Apple II home and education user who will pay more for a fast, nimble computer with the capacity to run bigger programs. But neither company plans to stay in its lane. By the way, did you hear that Steve Jobs is going after corporate business? Low snorts. <laughs> How could I not? Jobs recently pitched the Macintosh to data processing heads from the 50 biggest companies in America. Yeah, they're coming after the corporate market. Our market. IBM dominates corporate data processing and is the industry giant. Its revenues are set to exceed $45 billion in 1984, compared to Apple's $1.7 billion. But the sheer numbers don't tell the whole story. IBM's heavy revenues come from all sorts of machines. Personal computers only account for a fraction of that. IBM has heft, but Apple has the momentum. Estridge shakes it off. I don't think we need to worry about the Macintosh. Really? I heard the Macintosh was supposed to sell 250000 in its first year. Estridge turns to look at him. Jobs is so damn fixated on his baby, the Macintosh. That means Apple II sales will suffer, and we can capitalize on that. Let's just stay focused on boosting sales of the PC Jr. Estridge and Lowe were right, though they might have underestimated the problem. Not only is Apple in trouble, but the board is getting ready to squeeze Jobs out. March 1985, IBM's offices in Boca Raton. Don Estrich is sitting at his desk looking over the sales figures for the PC Junior. It's clear he has to make a painful decision. He calls low. Bill, the numbers are in. Well, how do we do? Well, our Save the Junior campaign worked, but only in the short term. Now that the price has gone up again, nobody's buying it. And we can't afford to keep selling at this price. It's eating into our profits. Lowe knows what's coming. Are you calling it? Yeah, I'm calling it. The PC Junior is IBM's first public failure ever. It made a serious miscalculation. It offered a computer intended for the first-time user, but most buyers went straight to IBM's competitors. IBM underestimated how familiar people were with computers already, and they simply made the PC Junior too simple. It might be small consolation to the wounded egos at IBM, but at the Apple HQ, the top brass isn't cheering either. March 1985. CEO John Scully is poring over the final draft of Apple's annual report. And it's not looking good. As he glances over revenue per product, there is one stinker in particular. The Macintosh. This is not acceptable. Apple's marketing had predicted over the Christmas season they'd sell 150,000 Macs. But instead, they only sold around 50,000 in December. Scully shakes his head. He's got to find jobs. 
Scully makes his way to the Macintosh building, where Jobs is holed up with his team. Steve, we need to talk. Jobs looks up and smiles tightly. Sure, what can I do for you, John? He and Scully are friends. Jobs hired Scully. But as Mac's sales started to slide, tensions between the two have begun to flare. Scully cuts to the chase. We need to do something about these dismal Mac sales. What's going on with this? Jobs sighs. It's not my fault. The idiots in marketing messed up the advertisements. Instead of showing how powerful the technology is and how it could change the way we work, they made the Mac into a cutesy machine for yuppies and their kids. Scully isn't having it. You can't blame this solely on marketing, Steve. Your product development is in complete disarray. You've missed important software deadlines. And where's the disk you were supposed to have delivered months ago to make it easier for the Mac to run large programs for business? I haven't seen a single trace of that. You don't understand the nuts and bolts of the business. You have no idea what goes into developing products like this. Maybe if you didn't manage company resources so badly, it wouldn't take us so long. Oh, so this is my fault. Now, I'm just saying, if you didn't give so much money to the Apple II, perhaps Mac sales wouldn't be declining. Steve, I'm not finished. We need to have more compatibility between our Mac software and the IBM machines. Jobs shakes his head firmly. No way. Those IBM machines are pieces of I refuse to help you make our software compatible with those things. Scully is frustrated. The power of the Apple II and the IBM PC is that the other companies can make add-on hardware and software for them. Being able to modify and customize those machines really expands the number of customers who want to buy them. People should only be able to use the software that we've given them on our machines. But if you don't allow users to customize the Macintosh software and add extra computer memory, you're limiting the market. Then let it be limited. You can't say that to shareholders. Well, it's a good thing that's your job and not mine. With that, Jobs turns on his heels and walks away. Scully is left dumbfounded. He's been under pressure from Apple's board to rein in Jobs. And now... He's starting to think that maybe Jobs is an impediment at Apple, not a solution. April 1985, a conference room in Apple HQ. Apple's board has convened for a meeting. The looks on everyone's faces say it all. Scully and Jobs are seated on opposite sides of the table, avoiding eye contact. Scully is the CEO, and Jobs is chairman of the board but he's become more and more alienated with fewer allies since Waz left. A board member kicks things off. First order of business, let's discuss the potential reorganization. I think we need to bring on a more seasoned manager to run the Mac division. Jobs looks up in shock. What do you mean, a seasoned manager? Scully steps in. Well, we've been getting complaints about your behavior from some employees. People in the Mac division have come to Scully grumbling about Jobs' erratic behavior. As Jobs has come under more pressure, he's been yelling at his employees even more than usual. Actually, he's become downright impossible to work for. Look, I don't want to work with some MBA in a blue suit who doesn't understand Mac's technological possibilities. 
Scully thinks Jobs just doesn't want someone he can't control. Nor does he understand that he's standing on razor-thin ice. Another board member jumps in. John, you are the CEO. Whatever you say goes. Well, it's uh, hard to act as CEO when the general manager of the MAC division also happens to be chairman of the board. Right, that's true. A board member pipes up. Well, I think you're right. The decision really is made for us. Steve, you need to relinquish your MAC position. Right, yeah. Uh Jobs looks around the room. It's clear that the board is against him. He has no choice. Fine. I'll do it. I'll step down from the MAC division. But inside, Jobs is furious. He can't forgive Scully for what he feels is a betrayal and a cruel surprise attack. Soon after the board meeting, Jobs tries to rally support from top executives. He's hoping he can stage some sort of coup to force Scully to stand down. But Jobs can't muster the support. A few months later, Jobs quits Apple completely and resigns from the board. With that, both co-founders are out. And it couldn't come at a worse time. Because Apple is entering the most unstable moment in its corporate existence. Just as one of its biggest collaborators is sharpening the long knives for a monumental legal battle. One that could drag down both companies. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business. It's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor... State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. October 1985. It's late in the afternoon at Scully's Cupertino office at Apple HQ. He's deep in thought. He heard a disturbing rumor about IBM and Microsoft the other day, and it's been gnawing at him. He decides to give Gates a call. Hi, John. How's it going? Gates and Scully have a good working relationship. At this point, Microsoft has been developing programs for the Macintosh for years. Ah, it's been better. Apple's been in turmoil since Jobs' exit. The stock price has nosedived and Scully's struggling to keep the company on track. Gates knows all this. Well, what can I do for you? Scully gets straight to the point. I heard that you've signed a deal with IBM to work on a new operating system for them. Gates demurs. Now, you know I can't talk about that. 
Scully frowns. He's annoyed by Gates' evasiveness. The way he sees it, Microsoft should be working to make programs for the Macintosh, not PCs. Instead, Microsoft has been rolling out a new operating system called Windows. Look, I guess I just don't understand why you've turned around and developed Windows for competing IBM clone machines. Why are you helping Apple's competitors make PCs rather than helping Apple make Macs? (sighs) Gates sighs. It's not one or the other. I'm just going wherever there's business for us. That just steams Scully. Because it's not just that Microsoft is developing software for competitors. It's that they are potentially borrowing ideas from Apple. Look, Bill, let me be more transparent. My team is concerned that Microsoft has stolen ideas from the Macintosh to use in Windows and other products that you've made for competitors. That's a serious accusation. Scully keeps going. We provided Microsoft with prototypes of the Mac as well as software tools to write those applications. We believe Microsoft was developing graphical user interface programs only for the Mac. Instead, you're turning around and selling them to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. So, what do you want, John? We want you to change the offending icons and programs or defend it in court. No way. And if you call in the lawyers, we'll stop developing Macintosh products. Scully looks at the receiver in shock. He can't believe the 29-year-old Gates is standing up to him. By making software for both IBM and Apple, Microsoft has been able to profit by playing both sides of the Mac versus PC war. And now, Scully has to decide whether to call Gates' bluff. Late October 1985, the Bellevue Roller Rink in Seattle, Washington. It's Gates' 30th birthday party, and the theme is The Great Gatsby. It's a fitting theme because Microsoft's flush days are just beginning. Gates is standing to the side, observing the crowd. He's dressed as Jay Gatsby, the fictional millionaire in F. Scott Fitzgerald's book who would be immortalized by Leonardo DiCaprio years later. Guests in dapper suits or flapper dresses frolic on roller skates or cling to the sides of the roller skating rink. Steve Ballmer, a friend of Gates and his second-in-command at Microsoft, wheels over. What's up, Bill? Ballmer cuts a comedic figure on roller skates. He's 6'5 and built like a linebacker, hardly the most graceful of skaters. Gates smiles at Ballmer. Oh, I'm good. Just thinking about Apple, honestly. Ballmer isn't surprised. Gates is always thinking about work. Now? Come on, tell me. What's on your mind? Well, Scully basically told me that we've got a legal fight coming our way if we don't change some of our graphical software. So you want to settle and appease them or take a chance and go to court? You know, I'm not sure. We've got our IPO on the horizon. I see a chance to make Microsoft as big as Apple if we can keep making this software for other companies. But a legal battle right now could hurt our stock price. Right. Investors might be turned off by a messy lawsuit with Apple. Ballmer claps him on the back. But come on now. It's time to enjoy your birthday. We can deal with this tomorrow. Ballmer skates away, leaving Gates to 
ponder his predicament. Summer 1987, Palo Alto. A white two-story office building with wraparound windows juts out against the blue sky. Gates looks out at the neat rows of trees. He's here to meet his old pal, Steve Jobs. Gates heads inside to the desk attendant. I'm here to see Steve Jobs. He's at Jobs' new startup called Next. They make computers targeted at educators. Sure, just take a seat and Mr. Jobs will be with you shortly. Jobs has invited his old friend and foe, Gates, to come see him. It seems he subscribes to the Russians saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Gates eases himself into a seat. Through the glass doors, he can actually see Jobs pacing around with a phone to his ear. Gates raises his hand to greet him, but Jobs ignores him and keeps talking. It's a big deal for Jobs to keep Gates waiting. Microsoft released its Windows operating system in 1985, which was used extensively in non-Mac PCs. Microsoft went public in 1986, and now the company is huge. Thanks to the strength of Microsoft's software, Gates has become incredibly rich and powerful. Sure, the threat of Apple bringing a lawsuit against Microsoft remains. But for now, Gates is reaping the benefits of being a big player. Gates glances at his watch. Nearly half an hour has gone by, but Jobs keeps him waiting, even though Gates can see Jobs through the door. Just as Gates's temper starts to boil, Jobs emerges. Bill, great to see you again. Oh, is it? Well, you could have seen me even sooner if you hadn't kept me waiting. Well, you're here now. Gates takes a seat in Jobs' office. Jobs immediately launches into a pitch. So, we're building the next big thing in education, the next workstation. It's going to change everything, and I want us to build something together. Gates is taken aback. Really? Sure, I know how good your software is. Oh, okay. Well, let me know when you've got a working prototype and we can figure out something that would make sense. Gates doesn't know it yet. But this meeting is all a big fake-out by Jobs. He kept Gates waiting as a power play. Actually, Jobs is planning to work with another company on his new workstation, IBM. As much as Jobs derided IBM, the truth is that at this moment he needs an ally. And what better way to stick it to Apple than to team up with their main competitor, he figures he can bring the innovation, and IBM can bring the scale. That way, he'll be able to make Apple regret kicking him out. As for Gates, he's about to have far bigger problems than missing out on Jobs's next big thing. 1988, Microsoft's offices in Seattle. Gates and his co-founder, Paul Allen, are catching up over lunch at the Microsoft cafeteria. They recently released Windows 2.0, their graphical operating system. It's had some hiccups, but Gates and Allen are already brainstorming ways to improve it. All of a sudden, their head counsel unexpectedly appears at their table. And that's never good news. Paul, Bill, we've got a big problem. Gates peers up at the lawyer through his Coke bottle glasses. 
What is it? It's Apple. They're suing us. Gates flushes red. Oh, I know what this is about. Scully finally followed through on his threat. The lawyer's expression is grim. He sure did. It's a copyright infringement suit. Alan pipes up. Explain? They're saying that Microsoft Windows used elements of the Mac graphical user interface in its Windows operating system. And that when Microsoft used those parts to make Windows 1.0 in 1985, they belonged to Apple. Well, are they uh, giving any specifics here? Yeah, they're arguing that the look and feel of the Macintosh operating system was protected by copyright, and that Windows violates this copyright by having the same icons. Gates huffs. Psst, that's ridiculous. Well, ridiculous or not, we're going to court. We'll need to convene the board ASAP. Allen and Gates look at each other. Microsoft's co-founders know they'd better buckle up. Now, they have to prepare for battle on two fronts. They have to tackle serious problems with their operating software and, at the same time, gear up for an epic battle. LinkedIn Jobs isn't just another job board. With a vast network of more than a billion professionals, it's the best place to hire. You'll get access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And if that sounds overwhelming, look, don't worry, it's not. LinkedIn Jobs makes the process easy and intuitive. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. If you're like me, hiring the best candidates for a job can often be about who you know, the connections you make. My favorite thing about LinkedIn Jobs is the ability to screen for the experience and qualities you're looking for and reach out directly, not waiting for the right person to come in over the transom, sifting through emails. It's actually fun to find people with the skills and backgrounds you need this way through LinkedIn Jobs. Often, you're making connections that help your business along the way. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash businesswars. You can thank me later. That's linkedin.com slash businesswars to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. May 1990, Manhattan City Center Theater in Midtown. Gates is waiting in the wings, peering at his notes in near darkness. All around him, producers in headsets holding clipboards run around putting the finishing touches on Microsoft's big presentation. Gates is only 35, but he's grown up a lot in the last few years. Being CEO of a publicly traded company will do that. So far, Gates has led Microsoft well through troubled waters. All right, Bill, we're ready for you in three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Gates. Gates strides on stage, waving to the crowd of 6,000 people. Usually calm, he can feel butterflies in his stomach. Microsoft has bet everything on its operating system. It spent $3 million on this event alone to promote it. Gates can't mess this up. He lifts the microphone to his mouth and starts with an uncharacteristic joke. Well, I'm glad to hear it's ready. This would have been a very extravagant way to announce a delay in our schedule. He holds up a cardboard box that contains the floppy disks holding Microsoft's new operating system. Today, 
We're introducing our Microsoft Windows version 3. New and improved. And boy, is it improved. A video begins playing on screen behind him. It shows a user toggling between Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. We've created an operating environment that divides the screen into windows. This operating system can switch between programs without having to exit and reload. You can copy and paste between programs in a way that makes it easier than ever to write, work, use spreadsheets, or send emails. The crowd loves it. Windows is easy to use and remarkably quick. For the last few years, Microsoft has been running the operating system for IBM. But after IBM teamed up with Next, Microsoft ended its partnership with the giant. Now, it's hoping that its software prowess will sell big on PCs made by other companies like Dell and HP, not just ones made by IBM. With Windows 3.0, we're ready to dominate the world of PCs today, tomorrow, and forevermore. When it goes on sale soon after, Windows 3.0 is a hit. It's the first version of Windows to receive all-round positive reviews. Users and experts alike agree. It's really easy to use. And best of all, it's available on a whole range of PCs. Within its first week, Windows becomes the top-selling business software. Six months later, two million licenses have been sold. This is all great news for Microsoft. And Apple is not taking it well. October 1990, Apple HQ in Cupertino. Scully is sitting at his desk, his head in his hands. Apple's CFO is sitting across from him, shifting uncomfortably in his seat. The CFO coughs quickly. <coughs> so, uh, shall we talk about the sales figures for these lower-cost Macs? Scully barely looks up. Don't tell me. More bad news? Well, wh what we're seeing is, uh, complete market rejection. Scully makes eye contact. How bad? The lower-cost Macs have not succeeded. No one's buying them. We're losing out to these PCs. Scully shakes his head. I thought this was what people wanted, a cheaper computer. I thought we could do it better than IBM. Maybe Jobs was right. Maybe I don't know what goes into developing a product. The CFO pauses. Well, there is one way we could outsource product development and counter PC dominance. Yeah, I'm listening. Well, you know, for years, IBM has made money by licensing its operating system to other companies. Are you talking about clones? Clones are computers made by other companies that run on licensed software and parts. Basically, they're copies, but authorized copies. As if Louis Vuitton sent out its design for leather bags for other companies, but charged a fee to use their brand. But clones can also dilute the brand. If someone can buy a computer that runs on IBM software for cheaper, why would they splurge for an IBM computer? Scully considers all this for a moment. So we let people basically copy the Macs and then pay us for the software. Exactly. It doesn't seem like a bad idea. And frankly, Scully doesn't know what to do. Without jobs, Apple is struggling. 
Scully stares straight ahead. Well, we need to do something. We've been treading water and now we're sinking. Microsoft is set to record huge revenues, over a billion dollars this year. They've caught up with us. All by selling their damned software and everybody else's computer. The CFO leans forward. Uh, there is one more thing we could do. Launch an alliance with other companies like IBM and Motorola. If we can team up together, maybe we can counter the PC and Windows market domination. Scully thinks about it. Let's bring it up to the board. For now, I need a drink. Scully sinks back in his chair. He can't believe Apple has been so badly outfoxed. Microsoft has taken a big bite out of Apple, and Apple is feeling the pain. PCs are beating Macs, and now Apple must find a way to fight back. On the next episode of Business Wars, Apple changes the world by developing products like the iPod and iPhone that put a computer in your pocket. And Microsoft struggles to keep innovating now that David has become the Goliath. From Wondery, this is Episode 3 of Apple vs. Microsoft for Business Wars. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. For more on the history of the Mac, check out Steve Jobs, written by Walter Isaacson. We also recommend Hard Drive by James Wallace and Jim Erickson. I'm your host, David Brown. Natalie Robomad wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Josh Morales. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Our managing producers are Tanja Figpen and Matt Gant. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.